0: Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. This is on page 972 in the Church Bibles. "Therefore, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, The crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law.
1: Thank you, Helen. Let's pray before we look at God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you this evening for your word, and I pray now, we pray now, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts wouldn't simply be acceptable to you, Father, but they would be pleasing and honoring and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we long to be built up. We long to glorify you more. So, Father, would you be at work by your spirit, applying the things that we read together, and we pray it in Jesus' name amen well there is a judgment to come there will be a day when every man and woman living and dead will stand before God there'll be a day when the Lord will send some to everlasting life in his presence There will be a day when the Lord will send others to everlasting destruction. Last week, the Lord Jesus called this day, that day. We saw that with Tim last week. We we saw that in Matthew 7, verse 22. That day, that day, as Jesus said, is the day when we will all stand before the Lord to give an account for our deeds and our words and our thoughts elsewhere the bible calls that day the day of the lord or the day of the lord's wrath it's the day of christ's return in matthew 25 the lord jesus christ speaks of that day to come he says in matthew 25 some selected verses from there he says when the son of man comes in his glory Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, last week we began to see something of how this coming judgment will work. We saw how it's not those who simply claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ who will pass through the judgment to come. In fact, we saw it's not even those who claim to have served in Christ's name who will pass through judgment. But it's those who have demonstrated the reality of their faith who will be saved. We saw that in verse 21. It is he who does the will of the Father who will enter the kingdom of heaven. By contrast, the Lord says there that the evildoer will be sent away from the Lord's presence, verse 23. And more on that in a moment. But that's the reality, the Bible reality of the coming judgment, of divine judgment. And as we reflect on that reality, sadly, society at large seems to have forgotten uh, that divine judgment is a true and fearful thing. Perhaps we, we reflect on the increasing lawlessness in our nation, that there seems to be less fear of God, no fear of divine judgment. Um, going into Shrewsbury yesterday, we, re- we commented on the number of shops over the last few years who seem to have employed security guards simply to stand on the door to stop shoplifting. There seems to be that, that sense of, of fear of divine judgment seems to have gone from much of society and one of the tasks of us as God's people is to remind society at large of the reality of God's wrath against sin and the future prospect of eternal judgment to remind uh, our friends family neighbors of the reality of divine judgment And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, to remind them that there are two, and simply two, eternal destinations. Heaven or hell. Sometimes, I think we we convince ourselves that it's not loving to speak clearly to unbelievers about the reality of heaven and hell. That it's somehow not loving to speak about God's wrath or His condemnation or or the fact that non-Christians, in one very important biblical sense, are enemies of God. And yet, if we not simply value the truth, if we really love people, we will remind them of these realities. We'll inform them of the realities. Our Lord Jesus Christ is described in the Scriptures as the friend of sinners. And he spoke often and clearly about the awful prospect of eternity away from the presence of the Father. If we really love people, we'll speak clearly of heaven and hell, the narrow gate and the wide gate, the wrath of God and divine judgment. Perhaps speaking for myself, I challenge you to think about this for yourselves. Perhaps the problem we have in speaking about these eternal things sometimes is that we love ourselves more than we love our neighbor sometimes perhaps we shy away from the talk of heaven and hell because we fear discomfort in a social situation we we feel rejection we we fear embarrassment or potential confrontation we fear being unpopular now you know and i know that we can speak about the realities of heaven and hell in an objectionable manner we've perhaps heard that done and yet what is the biggest temptation for most of us in this room tonight is our greatest temptation to speak objectionably about hell or is our greatest temptation not to speak about these eternal realities at all sometimes even as God's confessing people we've forgotten that there is a day of judgment for us too We have forgotten, perhaps, to live in reverence and awe before him. We are invited to draw close to him, and yet we're still invited to draw close to him in reverence and awe, as the book of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. Well, in the verses before us this evening, the Lord Jesus Christ drives home this point, that there is a judgment to come. And those who listen to Jesus' words and and those who obey them will stand in the judgment. And those who listen to Jesus' words and yet do not obey them will fall. Jesus uses an illustration to make the point we might call it a parable. um, As some headings in your Bible might uh, describe those verses as a parable. Verses 24 to 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So first of all, in this parable or these parables, Jesus talks about the person who both hears his words and obeys them. Jesus talks about the person who both listens to what he says and puts his words into practice in their lives. And Jesus likens such a person to a wise man. So in the parable in the illustration, there's a wise man who builds a house. and because he is wise, he builds his house on a firm foundation. He builds his house on a bed of rock later on the the house is subject to a terrific storm it rains the waters rise and there are strong winds but because the house was built on firm foundations it stood secure well what's Jesus saying to us well the Lord Jesus Christ is likening our lives to a house and so the question that immediately comes, as we we reflect on that, is upon what are we building our lives? Upon what foundation are we building our lives? If you like, what principles, what teachings, what convictions, what instructions are we building our lives? What is forming our worldview? and, And therefore, what is forming our feelings, our affections, our likes, our dislikes, our opinions and then finally our actions to put it another way whose instructions are we following are we following our own or those of others are we following the world's instructions or are we following those of our lord and savior the lord jesus perhaps we could ask this question whose promises are we trusting are we promise are we trusting the promises of a good lord who never lies Or are we trusting the promises of a deceitful and false world so often? A world that promises so much and delivers so little. And the Lord Jesus says here that if we are wise, we will build our lives on both the hearing and the obeying of his teaching. Jesus says that if we are wise, we'll listen to and obey these words of mine. Verse 24. So these words of mine, in the context, mean mainly, I would argue, the Sermon on the Mount. If we are wise, we will listen and obey the teaching of the Lord on the sermon, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. But we could extend that principle to all the Scriptures. In, in Colossians 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul calls the Scriptures, calls his teaching, the Word of Christ. We need as God's people, if we are wise, we need to hear Christ's word in the Bible. We need to strive to put what we hear into practice in our lives. So in the parable, we have this storm. Well, what does the storm in the parable represent? The thing uh, that is the, the house is subject to? What is this storm? Well, I would argue, I'm arguing, will argue that this is God's coming judgment I think the context of this verse requires that the storm is God's coming judgment. I'm not convinced that this is a picture of everyday trials and difficulties. But this is a picture, the storm is a picture of eternal judgment. Well, why do I argue that? Well, in the context, in verses 21 to 23 that Tim explained to us last week, we see that these verses are about final judgment. They're about that day in the future when the evildoer will be sent from the presence of the Lord. So verses 21 to 23 are about the final judgment. And our verses this evening are linked to those verses with that little word, therefore. Therefore, at the start of verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and so on. It's Jesus' saying, if you like because of that day the day of judgment we must therefore live in this way because of judgment we must therefore live wisely so i would i would argue i'm arguing that this storm in the parable is god's coming judgment jesus is saying this if we are going to stand in the judgment in the day of judgment if we are to receive everlasting life at the judgment We must be those who not only hear the words of Jesus, we must be those who obey them, who put them into practice in our own lives. And so there's a challenge for us, isn't it, this evening? It's good to be here tonight to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ um, read and taught. And we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our church. That would be a greater and deeper and wider desire in our church to hear God's word taught that we might know it better and thus know him better uh, and in a more deeper way uh, as we hear his word taught but the question with which Jesus challenges us tonight is this one are we seeking to both hear Jesus's words and to obey them are we seeking to be both hearers and doers of the word if you like familiar verse to many of us James 1:22 20, uh, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says As we reach the end of this uh, series on the sermon on the mount I want to just summarize very quickly some of the points we've gone through I think that might be useful So to summarize quickly to challenge us quickly are we seeking to be poor in spirit to be mourning over our sin to be meek to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness to be merciful to be pure in heart to be a peacemaker do we have kingdom priorities do we rejoice when we're persecuted would we rejoice when we're persecuted are we acting as salt and light in our world are we preserving righteousness and bringing truth to bear Does our righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Do we resist unrighteous anger? Do we repent when we succumb to it? Do we resist not simply adultery, but lust? Do we repent of it when we succumb? Are we revenge seekers, even if only internally? Or do we leave hurts that others inflicted upon us with the Lord? Are we ready to forgive the repentant? Do we love and pray for those who wrong us and would do us harm? Do we do acts of righteousness to be seen by others or to please our heavenly Father? Do we forgive others as the Lord has forgiven us? Are we serving God or money? Do we dishonor our Father by failing to trust Him with our material needs? Do we criticize each other so that we may look better in the eyes of others or even in our own eyes? And so on. These are the words of the Lord that that have been brought to us over the last few weeks, months. Are we seeking not simply to hear them, but to do them? Is that our desire? So back to the parable. Jesus is saying here that if we do not live a distinctly Christian life, there is no hope for our eternal future. If we're not seeking to order our whole lives by the word of God, then we can have no confidence that we will stand in the day of judgment. Only those who have surrendered to Christ as Lord in word and practice will be saved. Only the obedient will be saved. Well, that should raise some questions with us and might have done already. So, a couple of questions to, to explain some of those comments there. Perhaps you're thinking, well... Are you arguing, and I hope not because you should have been removed from the pulpit by now if this is the case, but are we arguing, am I arguing that we're saved by works then? Not by grace alone, through faith alone. Is the Lord Jesus Christ here saying that we must work for our own salvation? That we're going to be saved, we're going to pass through judgment by the standard of our Christian life? Was the gospel of the Apostle Paul not the gospel of the lord jesus christ are we not saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone we might say those of us who like our church history were the protestant reformers wrong and we must clearly say we are saved simply through god's grace we receive forgiveness of sins simply by trusting in the lord jesus christ in his work on the cross all of us in this room tonight are sinners we could never live the perfect life required to earn a place in glory to earn a righteous standing before God as a church we're thankful that we preach faith in Christ alone as the only hope for sinners like us we depend only on the Lord Jesus Christ to shield us from God's righteous judgment his righteous anger against our sin If we trust in our own goodness to pass through judgment, that will be eternally disastrous. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, if you're depending on leading a good life or a moral life to get you through the day of judgment, then if things don't change, then you are without hope. And as a congregation tonight, we want people who don't understand this to see their hopelessness. The prospect of facing the eternal wrath of God. We want people to understand. And to to turn in faith. From that prospect. If we are not a Christian tonight. We need to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In all that he did. So that we can escape. God's just fair righteous anger. Against our sin. To receive eternal life. But there is and this is eternally important saving faith real faith faith that the bible describes biblical faith will always result in a changed life the reality of our christian profession is evidenced by the way that we live our lives we are saved by faith alone but as some have put it the faith that saves is never alone we're saved by faith alone, but we will be judged according to our works. Well, what by I mean? What do I mean by that? Well, real faith, saving faith, the faith that will bring us through judgment, will always result in an increasingly righteous life. Sometimes I think one of the reasons that um, evangelicalism in the 21st century is sometimes weak is that as As Protestants, we don't know our historic confessions and catechisms like we should, and put myself in that category. Some of you will have heard of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a a list of questions and answers which talk about the great truths of the Bible. Number 86 uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism says this. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we we yet do good works? Why must we live a good life if we're saved through grace alone? And the answer comes this, because Christ having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us, that's quite something, that he may be praised by us. But further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits. And that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors for Christ. So here, the writer of this, the writers of this catechism are saying that in part, and I'll get to that in a moment, in part, it's by our fruits, by our good works, by our lives that we can be assured that we belong to Christ and that he will take us through judgment safely. The writer there is saying that if we truly have the Holy Spirit, if we're truly Christians, we will be renewed and transformed by him into the likeness of Christ. Now we're touching here very briefly on things we looked at in 1 John a few months back, because in our main, our assurance that we are saved people comes from the fact that Christ died on the cross for us. When we doubt whether we are truly Christians, we look to Christ. We look to His Word. We look to His promises. We look to His perfect work for us. And we receive assurance. The Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, wrote that for every look inwardly to see whether we're truly Christians, we should take ten looks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is built and assured mainly when we look outward to Christ, not inward to self. But we should look to Christ, <coughs> we should look to Christ frequently, but there is a time and a place for self-examination. And are we sure of our salvation? Because our lives display the fruit of our salvation. In other words, is there evidence that we have been renewed and are being renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit? So only those whose lives are built on God's word and obedience to it can be assured of salvation on the day of judgment just want to address one more uh, objection you might have before i finish are we then advocating a kind of christian perfectionism am i saying in effect that only those who are sinless stand any chance of getting into glory only the sinless will pass through judgment successfully Well, you'll be glad to know, as I'm glad to know, that that's that's no way true. And if it were true, there'd be no hope for any of us here tonight. But listen to these words, which I found really helpful. The words of the pastor and preacher, John MacArthur. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about direction. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. I'm not perfectly obedient, he continues. I am imperfectly obedient i long to be perfectly obedient that's my passion that's my heart's longing i've recognized that i fall short i've recognized that i'm a sinner i've repented of that sin and embraced christ as the only hope of salvation and my life has been transformed and my heart longs to obey true christians build lives of obedience built on the rock of biblical truth So it's true that a Christian's obedience to Christ is imperfect. And it will continue to be imperfect until we are glorified, until we are with the Lord. But a true Christian's life will be characterized by an obedience to Christ. That obedience to Christ will increasingly typify his or her life. And a true Christian will be grieved by his or her sin and we will repent of it sincerely and we will repent of it often. If these things aren't true of somebody, they profess to know Christ, to know his word, but their lives are not typified by obedience and repentance, they have no reason to be assured that they belong to Jesus. They have no reason to be sure that they will pass securely through judgment and that's what's being told in verses 26 to 27 that's what Jesus means he says there everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash and these are such sober words from the lord because the great crash there represents the eternal destruction of those who refuse to hear and obey the words of jesus in many ways there's a great tension here and and those who have in pastoral ministry those who have christian leadership the elders here tonight will know that great tension because our god wants us to enjoy our salvation he wants us to be assured of it. He wants us to be filled with joy and praise and understand the security we have in His everlasting arms. Our Lord wants us, wants His children to be confident that we will stand in the day of judgment because of Christ. And yet these are very real words, very real warnings from the Lord that we, we mustn't be complacent. Yes, assurance comes mainly when we look to Christ, as we trust in what he has done for us. But our assurance that we're truly his is strengthened as we see him at work in our lives by his spirit. As we increasingly build our lives on obedience to his words. So here there is evidence that we are wise. Here is evidence that we truly belong to him. Here is evidence that Christ's work on the cross has been applied to me and to you personally. Here is evidence that the Spirit is at work within me. Here is the evidence that we will stand in the day of judgment. The reality of our faith. The reality that we will go through the judgment, secure in the arms of Jesus. These things are witnessed, are evidenced by the fact that the Spirit is within us. Not producing perfection, perfect obedience, but by producing a life which is increasingly like Jesus, which is increasingly obedient. And of course, when we fall, we can return to the Lord again and again. We can repent again and again, seek his forgiveness. And when we truly mean it, when we truly ask him for it, he will not let us down. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gravity of these words this evening. Father, we thank you that your word tells us in many places that you want us as your people to stand secure and firm, not because we are godly or righteous, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was righteous in his life, led on our behalf, and because of his death and resurrection. And so, Father, we thank you that if we are truly yours, that we can be confident, not only that we are saved now, but that we will pass through uh, the judgment to come because of Christ. And yet, Father, we take on board tonight the very real warning that if we are truly yours, then that will be evidenced in our lives. Father, we confess that we're not perfect, but would you increasingly work in us, not just an obedience and a desire to be obedient to you, so that when we fall short, we might be quick to repent, quick to seek your forgiveness. Father, for those of us who preach, we we know that very often... um, we can, we can fall off that horse on either side. Uh, and if there are any here tonight who are truly yours, who are struggling with, sal- uh, with assurance of faith, Father, draw close to them. Help them to know that you are at work in them, that they are forgiven children of God. But Father, I also pray that if there are any of us here tonight who are uh, complacent with our standing before you, and perhaps in whose lives there's no real evidence of the work of the Spirit, pray, Father, that you would save them and that they might continue to see at work them, you at work in their lives. So, Father, hear our prayers now, for we bring them in Jesus' name, and for the good of us as your people, the people whom you love. Amen.